Alright, so as we go through the book of Jude, um, I'm going to do two things in this message. I'm going to start out, basically, I'm going to show you really what the book of Jude is all about. There's really one main message in the book of Jude, and it's very important that you understand this one main message. Because in the book of Jude, there's a lot of mistakes that people make when preaching from this book. And we need to be careful about that. There's a lot of false doctrine that surrounds just the book of Jude. And if you have a grasp on what the book of Jude is all about, it'll help you see through a lot of that false doctrine when it's preached. So I'm going to do the first, the first part of this. I'm just going to show you what the message is of Jude. Then we're going to go through the rest of the chapter, and I'm going to show you mistakes that people make with the book of Jude. And you need to be careful. Uh, you know, how you study the Bible, how you interpret things in the Scripture, it's, it's very important. And I'm going to show you some common mistakes people make. And then even people sometimes who are right in their teaching and right on their doctrine, they often um, stretch things in these passages trying to defeat false doctrine. And they, they, mess them, you know, they mess themselves up too a lot of times trying to answer heretics on these things. And you know what? Sometimes we just need to admit there aren't answers for some things. You know, there's some things that we just don't completely understand. It's okay to admit that. So anyway, let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. And it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should, ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So notice right here, he mentions it's our job to earnestly contend for the faith. And we have a society today, we have a generation of preachers today that don't believe in contention of any kind and contending for anything. And you know, the, you got the trendies out there, those skinny jeans wearers, the only thing that they ever preach hard against is against hard preaching. You know, we all just need to get along, we all just need to come together and just get, but no, there's things that we need to fight for. There are doctrines that you know we should divide over. I, I mean, some of these trendies too that I'm I'm loose friends with. You know, I see him posting these things all the time about how you know we're always you know dividing over these secondary issues like Bible version. This is that was one of them you mentioned. You know, he's he names all these things that are you know he called them secondary issues. He's talking about Bible versions. You know, dress standards, which could be a secondary thing, but he's talking about music, all these things. But the thing is, he brought up how in certain countries, I forgot what country he was talking about, like China maybe, you know, they're always like, you know, why, why are you Americans always, you know, dividing over things that aren't about the gospel? And, or I think it was a Muslim country, you know, and he was, you know, I was like, man, that's a good question. Everybody's like praising him for this deep thought, you know, yeah, we should be fighting over things that aren't gospel related. And the thing is, I just responded on there and said, my response to that guy would have been, because if we don't fight for these things, our country is going to end up like your country. You know, and that's what's going on in these other countries. Everybody's just decided to get along. Everybody's decided to go along. And it that the compromises have led to just basically scriptural, scriptural illiteracy and then just flat out rejection of what the scripture teaches. That is what's going on in other countries, and that's what's going on in the United States of America. So we do need to earnestly contend for the faith. We do need to fight people that are spreading false doctrine. We need to mark these people. 
It's our job to expose false teachers. It says in Romans 16, 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And people will often say, well, that's referring just to people in your local church and your local congregation. Well, here's the thing. I, I get that. That's probably what the original context of that was. But if I am hearing false doctrine from Rock Falls and people in my church are hearing about false doctrine here in Rock Falls that's coming from somebody in another state, as far as I'm concerned, he's in my territory. I'm going to mark him. And so if they're on the Internet putting all that stuff out there, if they are promoting a Bible college, maybe if they're sending churches their materials, you know, people got so mad at me. Uh, I offended somebody because on Instagram, uh, when uh, Greg Neal's college, you know, they sent a, they sent our church a flyer for their new Bible college. that was going to be started with Cameron Giovanelli as the president, you know, and they wanted people to promote it and hashtag it. I forgot what the hashtag was. For it, but I went and I I did a post about it, and I did their hashtag that I wanted. And it was a video of me throwing the flyer in the trash can where it belonged. That's all. That's all I helped promote. And this person got all offended and talking about it was going to be the best college in the world and all this stuff. And you know, it, and you know, it's like you know, how could you do something like that? I'll tell you why. Because the people running that college are a bunch of perverts and they're a bunch of scumbags, and I'm going to expose them. You say it's none of your business. Yes, it is. They're sending stuff to our church. They're sending things to churches all over the country trying to get people you know, to leave their church and go get trained there. Where they're in danger of being videotaped while changing. You know, so, you know, I'm going to, it is okay for me to expose these people. Everybody got so mad when Pastor Shiflip went after Cameron Giovanelli, even though he was the former pastor of his church. But the thing, you know, it's like, you know, this is just a local church issue, but he was the president of a Bible college. One whose college actively is going out, trying to go into churches to promote their Bible college. They have called us here before, asking if we would like to have their tour group come through here so they can get the young people in this church to fill out cards so they can put them on their mailing list so they can send them literature to try to get them to come to their college. That is what they do. I know. We've had some of these college groups in before. Not that one in particular. But we used to do that in the past. And they do, man. They send kids all kinds of junk material, trying to get them to go there. And here you've got a college that's got a pervert running the school. The pastor knows he's a pervert. And it's not just what they're doing in their church in California. They're all over the country. Everybody knows about it. All the fundamental Baptists know about Golden State Baptist College. They all know the name Jack Trever. Now, I didn't know the name Cameron Giovanelli at the time, but I'm sure, I'm sure I'm glad that he was brought up, that he was mentioned. One of these Bible college groups that we had in here several years ago, I was at a, uh, I was at a youth conference, and all the Bible colleges, they're always at youth conferences. With all their display set up, getting kids to fill out cards. I mean, they do these things where if you fill out a card, we'll draw your name and give you a free CD. You know, that's how bad they want their kids' names and address. And all these kids go fill out these cards. If you've ever been to a youth conference, you know what this is like. And the one guy was there. And, and the only reason I had even had this group in is because 
I knew the girl who played the piano for the group was from our youth group when I was in my last church. And I remember the next year, and, and the guy who preached that day was pretty good. I liked him. Don't have anything against him. But um, this new guy that they had just creeped me out bad. He actually kind of looked like Cameron Giovanelli. He just, he just, he just screamed pervert. And he saw me there, and he knew that they had been at our church year before, and was trying to get him to schedule to come back again. He was like, "Yeah, I'll come, you know, and I'll preach and everything." And I'm just, and I didn't want to say, "I don't want you to preach for me. You look like a pervert." You know, you, you can't just say that to somebody. But I was thinking it, and I did not, I did not schedule them. I was like, "No, nah, I don't think we're going to do it this year." <laughs> and turned out that guy was a pervert. Guy was, in fact, a pervert. Messing with one of the girls in the Bible college. And his his excuse for having a relationship with this girl in the Bible college is that he wasn't able to get his wife pregnant. And so he was kind of doing what Abraham did with Hagar. Because he didn't learn his lesson from what happened when Abraham did that with Hagar. Do you realize, and people are like, well, you know, Abraham did it. Yes. And you all realize that God showed us what happened as a result. And so for us to do it after what happened with Abraham, knowing how God felt about it when Abraham did it, Abraham, the friend of God, how upset said that made God when he did it, we should know so much better than Abraham not to do something like that. Just wicked. I mean, that, these are the type of people that are out there, and they said these aren't just people in their local congregations. It's always the perverts and the predators that seem to be in the places that are all over the country going from church to church. And I'm spending too much time on this, but I am, I'm, just, I'm sick of these pervs. We are supposed to mark them. It says in 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Uh, them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another. Do nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. So, you know, people who don't like false teachers and evil men being exposed don't like it for two reasons. They don't want to be next. That's part of it. And, and they, because they know they're wicked or they have good buddies with the preacher. They're good buddies with the preacher who's wicked. And we see in this passage here, it mentions them that sin rebuke before all. Now, some people might think that, well, this is referring to the one who accuses the elder. But I actually think this is referring to the elder if he did in fact sin. And that, against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. And then if he sins... You rebuke them before all. And the reason I, I do believe that's talking about the elder there is because he goes on right after that saying, do nothing by partiality. They'll go and say, well, this guy's the pastor. You know, this other guy's just ordinary Joe Church member. So we're going to listen to the pastor. We're going we're gonna to support the man of God, you know, before this guy. Well, but wait, if he did in fact do this thing, then he does need to be exposed. He does need to be marked. He should be in trouble. A pastor should get thrown out. If a pastor does some type of immorality that would get Joe Church member thrown out of the church, it ought to get the pastor thrown out of the church. And that we do not do anything by 
partiality. We are not, and that's why we don't want to lay hands suddenly on no man. That's why we need to be careful who we send out because we don't want to send somebody out that turns out to be a pervert, that turns out to be a false prophet. So we've got to make sure we are careful. Otherwise, we're going to be partaking in other sins. So that's why we, that's why we take this stuff serious about ordination and who we send out. And, man, we, do, we should want the bad guys being exposed. We should never cover for them. We should never, we should never hide it. Because look what it says in verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares. But it's nice if somebody would have exposed them. It's like who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Okay? Okay, these are not false prophets, or these are not these false prophets, they're not just good men who messed up. These are wicked men of the worst kind. Okay? Guys like Cameron Giovanelli, he did not he was not a good man that just fell. Okay? This isn't this isn't some you know, he found himself in a compromising situation and he gave in to temptation. That's not what happened to him. And that's not usually what happens. This is a man who took advantage of his position and for months prayed and abused uh, an innocent person. And it's the, and that's the type of people that they are. But then, what are his cronies saying for him that are back up? They're, they're trying to act like, you know, he, he just needs grace right now. You know, they're acting like, oh, well, he's just a human. All right? This is what Alan Domley, a big pervert supporter, said. that He tweeted this December 6th. He said, I would rather be guilty of trying to lift the load of my fellow brother than to attack and criticize them for their humanity. He's taking heat for supporting this pervert, and then he's acting like, you know, I'm just trying to help my fellow brother. You know, I'm not going to attack his humanity. That That's inhuman to be a pedophile and to be a stinking pervert like that. He's, he also said it's a sad day when God's people are the ones who oppress. Instead of fighting like the enemy to oppress your fellow believer in the Lord, you should be like God and be merciful to help lift another's burden. Because, okay? you know, Cameron Giovanelli, he's carrying around this burden of being a pervert. We need to carry that for him. So what does that mean? You know, help facilitate? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. That right there is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Oh, we're all sinners. You know, that, that is just ridiculous. You know, Greg Neal, he just tweeted this, apparently. He says, no matter the offense, the Holy Spirit will never lead a believer to personally attack another believer. Job's captivity turned when he prayed for his friends, not when he trolled them on social media. And then he hashtagged it, culture at war with the church. Like, the fact that his church is being attacked and exposed, not by the world, but by fundamental Baptists for harboring perverts. He says that's the culture at war with the church. Wait a minute. Our culture is full of perverts. Okay. No, this is the church at war with the culture, is what it is. And he's a part of the culture for the fact that he's a pervert, for the fact that he's got a pedophile in this church, and he's supporting him like that. That's the type of thing we've got going on. And he's posting this junk 
like that. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. This is a well-known, big-name IFB preacher. And, you know, thank God somebody finally blew the lid on this guy. And I heard their Preacher's Delight conference, which just creeps me out when I hear, hear Preacher's Delight with these people. They, I, I heard their conference was a huge bust. And I'm thankful for that. And every preacher who was still a part of that, they're on my watch list for being a pervert. I would never allow anyone who would preach for a known pervert to preach in our church. There's absolutely no way. And there were there were some evangelists, I guess, desperate for meetings that still went there. But, you know, I hope that ends their career. And it should end their career. So these are, these are, these are wicked people that turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. He says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Now, right here is exactly what the entire book of Jude is all about. Now, keep this in mind. Anytime you hear anybody preaching anything from the book of Jude, if you remember this one fact about Jude, this is one chapter, this is 25 verses, this is a short book of the Bible, this is a short letter, the main point of this letter is he's telling the people in the church that don't worry about these false prophets. God will destroy them. And he's basically, through the rest of this chapter, he's giving examples of people that were wicked that God destroyed. That is why he keeps referring back to these events from the past it's not that he's trying to teach them about events from the past these are events he's assuming they already know about and he's saying just like god took care of sinners back then he's going to do it again in the future that's the main theme of this book you need to understand that and now having understood that now i want us to go through the rest of this chapter and i'm going to show you mistakes that people make and things that they do with the scriptures that is not right. And it messes them up in their theology. So, God's saying, if God didn't spare all these people that he's about to talk about, he won't spare them either. The false prophets will get what's coming to them. And thank God for it. I, I, I am, I'm very thankful for that. So, this is, and this right here, this is further proof that God hasn't changed about his mind about sin in this New Testament period that we're in. In this age of grace, you know, God was mean in the Old Testament killing everybody, but he's not mean today. You know, now he's just, he's all, he's all fine with it. No, God still hates it. God still hates it. God will destroy the wicked because of sin. And you know what? Even since this was written, I believe there's been many cases in history where I believe it was God destroying the wicked because of sin. God still does it. And he will continue to do it, but... The big one, it's still yet to come because God hasn't changed. He still hates sin. So look at verse 6. So now let's start looking at some of these mistakes that people make with the book of Jude. I'm just going to show you how this is, this is not fair. This is bad use of the scripture. So verse 6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So right here, many people, if they are teaching about Nephilim, for example, they will go to this verse right here. And they'll say, this is it right. You know, the angels was kept out their first estate. That's when they went and they married the daughters of men before the flood. 
and then God killed them all. Well, are you sure that's what that's talking about? Because it doesn't mention that there. It just says the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. All right. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't know for sure what that's talking about. I really don't know. You know, I don't think angels leaving their first estate or leaving their habitation equals angels coming and, you know, fornicating with the women on earth and having giants from it. I mean, you're reading a lot into that now. But here's the thing. Now, people, they take Genesis chapter 6 and they insert some things there. When we go th- we're going to go through Genesis chapter 6 in six or seven weeks. And we'll talk more about that. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But listen, right here, this doesn't prove anything when it comes to the Nephilim doctrine. This verse right by itself, it doesn't prove anything. Now, you say, well, then why did he bring it up? Well, first off, what is the message of this? If God didn't spare the angels that sinned, he's not going to spare the false prophets either. That's what we're supposed to get from. But at the same time, I do believe the people that Jude was writing to probably knew what he was talking about. He had probably told them this story that I personally don't think the Bible records. And you say, well, you know, why would the Bible talk about things like that? Why would they bring up stuff that's, you know, not somewhere in the Bible? Well, there's actually a lot of things like that in the Bible. There's a lot of things in the New Testament where they will refer to things from the Old Testament period or the time period that the Bible does not record. Or even, too, in the book of Acts, let me show you. There's one example in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where it talks about, uh, it tells a story about Jesus or a saying of Jesus that is not recorded anywhere in the Gospels. It says in Acts 20, 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, somebody show me where that is in the Gospels. Do you know what's not there? You can go read all four Gospels. It never records Jesus saying it is more blessed to give than to receive. You say, well, what is that? Is that, is that a mistake there? No. If the book of Acts says Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive, then Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It doesn't have to be in the Gospels. Okay? It's, it, but the fact that Acts brings it up, we know Jesus said that. There's a lot of things that Jesus said that the, book of, or that the Gospels do not record. Proof of that is what John said in chapter 21, where he's saying, man, if the, all the books could be, should be written, talk about the things he did in just 40 days. The world couldn't contain them. There's a bunch of things that Jesus did and that Jesus said that the Bible does not record. And so just because the Gospels don't record Jesus saying that doesn't mean he didn't say it. The fact that Acts says that he said it proves that he did, in fact, say it. Okay, so the thing is, There also were events that took place in the Old Testament that the Old Testament doesn't record. But if one of the New Testament writers under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost says something about it, well, then we know it did in fact happen. And there's a few things just here in the book of Jude that I'm going to show you that are not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. But they did in fact happen. So what do you think? You know, so what do you say about the angels left not the first estate? Well, I know that there were some angels that didn't keep their first estate and left their habitation. 
and God's got them reserved in chains, everlasting fire. I know that. But how does that equal the Nephilim doctrine? That's not fair. Even, even if the Nephilim doctrine is true from Genesis chapter 6, it would still be inappropriate to just take that one verse right there and then like that's, that's further proof. No, it doesn't prove anything. That passage isn't clear. And, he, and Jude's not trying to teach us about Nephilim here. He's trying to teach us that God's not going to spare false prophets. Alright, so keep, keep that in mind. So verse 7 says, um, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, isn't this interesting too? Sodom and Gomorrah, they are an example going forward. You know why? Because God still feels the same way about Sodomites today. God hasn't changed, God's never changed his mind on Sodomites. We don't look at, we should not read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and say, well, that was in the Old Testament. No, they are an example for us. How does God feel about Sodomites? Go read about Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis. That's how God feels about them, and we don't want to forget that. Sodom and Gomorrah is always a go-to passage that, to prove that God will deal, deal with the wicked in the future, and maybe even in the present. Don't ever forget that. Verse 8 says, Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignity. So defile the flesh? This is why there's, always per there's perverts in these churches. They're there to defile the flesh. When you defile the flesh of some young person, it does something to them mentally. It does something to them spiritually. There's no doubt about that. And that is why the devil tries to get these predators in the church. To defile their minds, to defile their bodies. The, the devil, he hates that which is pure and holy and reprobates are the same way. That is why the men of Sodom wanted those angels that came to visit Lot. You know why? Because these were angels, these were holy men, these were pure men, and they were able to tell, and they can't stand that, they wanted to file. And that is why the perverts and the homos and the LGBT, that's why they're constantly just pushing to get in every area. That's why, that's why they are forced themselves on television. I was just reading some articles that... We're talking about how by 2025, they want 20% of primetime TV characters to be LGBT. 20%. And according to the uh, one Gallup poll I read, they're only 4% of the population. And at right now, they're already represented over 10% of the characters are LGBT. So they're already more than double represented on TV. More than double. Why are they doing that? Why are they so insistent on that? Because they're trying to get in your minds. They're trying to get in your heads. They want to be in every area of society. That's why they want to be in churches. That's why it's always on the news. Oh, you know, the Episcopalian church, you know, this first, you know, lesbian bishop. There's always history. It's always this big thing. Whenever they do that, because they want to be in every area. Why do they care about being in churches at all? Why are they interested in being pastors? So they can defile. That is why. And that's why Lot, too, he offered them his daughters that were virgins. Because the fact that he knew, you know, 
that would probably be something they would like just because they like to defile that, which is pure. But you know what? Lot's daughters, while they were you know, not defiled physically, they were mentally. Proof of that's what happened a short time later in the cave. And they saw these holy angels, and they wanted that, and that's why they want children, folks. They want children because they are pure, because they are innocent, and they seek to defile. That right there is sodomites across the board. And that's, you know, I stop calling them LGBT, it's all one. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, pedophiles, bestiality, all that, it's all, they're all sodomites. That is, that is what they are. And the only thing that will take care of them is fire and brimstone. And you know what? If God took care of them in Genesis, he's going to take care of them in the future. Rest assured, be comforted, they will get what's coming to them. And you know, that's why I'm going to keep my hands off them. I'm not going to hurt them because God can take care of them way better than I can. And, and you know what? Just a little side note, Massa 2 is coming. And details should hopefully be released pretty soon. It's going to be in a new city this year. It's not going to be here, but a new, new, new city coming. I'm not at liberty to uh, I'll publicly announce anything yet. But I'm looking forward to it. You know why? Because we didn't learn our lesson from last year. In fact, we're now motivated and uh, looking forward to the next one. It's going to be good. But anyway, I uh, lost my spot. So they defile the flesh. They despise dominion. They hate authority that can punish them and stop them. It's like Greg Neal, the thing that's bothering him, that's why it's culture at war with the church. These guys hate it that the authorities are able to come in and arrest one of theirs. They're like, you know, we ought to be able and, you know, churches ought to be able to handle their own situations but you know what they're not they don't want to handle it you know they they don't want to deal with it and then whenever a church actually does deal with it like pastor shifflets did they cry foul then too you know why because they despise dominions they hate it that somebody can come in and have a say and say hey your guy's a pervert molesting people in the church he needs to go to prison they hate that they can't stand that. They despise the many. They don't like any authority. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. These guys think they're kings. And I've preached about that before. I am okay. It is okay for you to go to the stories of the kings and apply them to situations in churches. You know, follow the principles for those things. But folks, Baptist preachers, pastors of churches, we are not kings. My role is not equivalent with the role that David had. This is not my kingdom. I am not a king. And you know what? I'm not a man of God like Elijah and Elisha either. We've got to stop bestowing these titles on us that the Bible does not give. We don't need to do that. I don't, I don't have the ability to call down fire from heaven. God has not given me the same power and authority physically that he gave guys like Elijah and Elisha. Now, there is certain power and authority that God has given a pastor, but it's not the same. It's different. And the old IFB, they, they do, they've got this mentality that they are Moses, David, and Elijah all rolled into one. And yet at the same time, they're more like the devil and how they act and conduct themselves. And they think they should just be above it. Why? They despise dominions. They hate it. They speak evil of dignities. They are against those that are in authority over them. A dignity is an elevated office, civil or ecclesiastical, giving a high rank in society. They hate, they hate that. 
They, you know, Cameron Giovanelli, he's too good to stand before some judge. And that judge can tell him he's got to go to jail for 90 days or whatever. You know, he, he, no, he's, he's not too good for that. He's not, not at all. So that's, that's how these people are. And so, just an interesting fact about Jude. We don't, we don't have time to go through all this, but so notice that verse we just read in verse um, 8, on, just in verse 8, but in 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter 2 is so much like Jude 1, it's not even funny. And Peter does the same thing. Peter's trying to teach how, you know, hey, don't worry. If God didn't spare these people, he's not going to spare these ones either. He does the same thing. And people, people like to go to 2 Peter and do the exact same thing they do with Jude. And it says in verse 10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power, might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. That's now, I mean, either Peter or Jude stole the other one's message. One of those guys was at the camp meeting, and they heard Peter preaching at one place, and they thought, man, that's good stuff right there. Uh, I'm preaching that too. You know, that'll, that'll preach right there. I don't know. I'm not sure which one was written first. Maybe Peter, since it's in the Bible earlier. I don't know. But somebody stole the other one's message, and that's fine because, you know, it's all from the Bible, amen. But, look at verse, but then look at verse 9. So right after that, it talks about railing accusations and things. And then Jude 1 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now, here's another. When did this happen? When, when did Michael and de the devil get in a fight over the body of Moses? The Bible doesn't tell us about that. There's no, there's no story in the Old Testament that tells us about that. So, what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that when Michael and the devil were disputing over the body of Moses... That even Michael didn't bring a railing accusation against me. He just said, the Lord rebuked thee. That's what we learned from. Okay. Now, here's the thing. That's pretty interesting, though. That's an interesting story right there, isn't it? But is this about the story? Or is this about even Michael doesn't rail against the devil? We shouldn't bring railing accusations either. Okay. Now, but the thing is, a little gem like that, this is where the nut jobs, and this is where the people who, you know, just want to... Tell people fancy stories. They take things like this and they run with it. For example, I called Sluter out one time over the whole Abraham's bosom doctrine, and I just asked him. I said, "Hey, if your Abraham's doc, you know, bosom doctrine is true, I said, how did Moses get out of good hell when he was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Because you, you know, because they'll say, well, Elijah, he never went to good hell because he got caught up." To heaven. But Moses, he died. So how did Moses get out of good hell and find, you know, get with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? And he said, because Moses was resurrected. I'm like, where did you get that from? He got it from Jude. It's talking about the body of Moses. Does it say that Moses got resurrected in here? See, you're not allowed to do that. Okay, now what were they doing with the body? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But boy, wouldn't we all like to know? Let's just be honest. Wouldn't we like to know? I'd like to know more about that story. 
But we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, so we don't get to just add things in. But that type of thing is what's going, what people are doing. You, All these seminar guys, a lot of these guys who are big in the internet, they specialize in subjects where the Bible says virtually nothing. You know, Rob Skiba got famous going around talking about Nephilim and, you know, and all the weird stuff you know, that's based on the Bible and the book of Enoch and stuff. And by the way, the book of Enoch, people try to use Jude to prove there's a book of Enoch. You know, first off, Jude makes no reference to a book of Enoch. It just tells us something that he preached. Yeah, but they found a book in, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls of Enoch. Therefore, it's real. Therefore, it should be in the Bible. They banned it from the Bible because it proves all these, all these things. Well, here, here's, here's what's going on. Right? We are not the first generation that has been interested in interesting Bible characters like Enoch. Y'all realize that we're not the first generation that's like that. And, you know, let's just suppose that I succeeded in writing a novel based on a Bible character. And let's say that that novel just became a huge hit. And people often do that. They'll write like a, what do they call it? It's like histor- historical fiction. So they'll take events like we know these things happened in history. We know these people existed. We don't know any of the details, but let's write a story talking about it. And it's really interesting. And, you know, and then they'll, they'll have things in the story involving Bible characters and stuff. Like, you know, it could have happened. Probably didn't, but it could have. So it's interesting. We like that stuff, don't we? So let's just say I wrote a novel about a man named Secundus, who's mentioned one time in the Bible. The Apostle Paul mentioned him in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And I wrote this book, and man, it was interesting. I mean, he was this great Christian, got tons of souls saved, you know, saw miracles, just went, you know, had all these things. And, you know, and in that article, I'm writing stories and I'm mentioning people. You know, I mentioned, I mentioned a little run in he had with Onesimus. And I'm, you know, and I mentioned how he had stood before Herod at this one point. And, you know, and there's all these characters, man. We know these are real characters. The Bible talks about these characters. You know, and then I, you like, end up liking the story so much that all of a sudden you'd kind of want it to be true. And you start trying to make the Bible fit that. And that's the type of thing they did, folks storytelling did not start with Hollywood. And interesting Bible characters, you know they were writing stories about them for hundreds of years. And so, yeah, I do think that somebody wrote a book of Enoch, but do I think it's Scripture? Absolutely not. Do I think there's any legitimacy to it? No, I actually don't. But the thing is, if I was going... Now, if I was going to write a book... About uh, Secundus, you know what I would do? And I'm probably saying, even saying his name wrong. You know what I would do? I would make sure I included in that story the Apostle Paul because he was mentioned as being a fellow laborer, uh, somebody who, or he was somebody who accompanied Paul. I would mention the other names, Aristarchus, Derby, Timotheus. I would make sure those people were included in the story because then it makes it look more legit, doesn't it? So if we know from the book of Jude, for example... That Enoch, you know, prophesied something specific. Wouldn't that be the first, one of the first things you would put in that book that you're writing? And there's like 70 or 80 chapters in the book of Enoch. And this 
the state more this uh, passage we're going to see in a little bit where it talks about what Enoch did. It's in chapter one. Why? Why would they do that? Why? To try to prove legitimacy right away, and folks. It's just fiction. Okay? Fiction is not a new thing, but yet people will use the book of Jude to to call the book of Enoch a biblically endorsed extra biblical text. That's what Rob Skiba calls it, and Rob Skiba is an idiot. And, and he, Rob Skiba calls Jesus Yeshua. You know, the guy, but you know what? He's got a bunch of nut jobs that go to his things, a bunch, you know, a bunch of, you know, people who are probably the same, the same people who go to his things are the same people who stand in line for days waiting to see the premiere opening of the new Lord of the Rings movie. And they dress up like hobbits and wizards and things and stuff. And he does, man. He makes the pre-flood world sound like something straight out of Lord of the Rings. And there's people that eat that stuff up because we live in a world that loves fantasy. So these, these are these are bad people, and it's it's not it's not right for them to do that. I need to go fast. It says, but these speak evil; those things which they know not. But that which they know naturally is brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. So they do what they do because they're acting on instinct like an animal. They're like an animal. They have no principles that guide them. That's why Cameron Giovanelli can get busted and still go forward. And you know what? He'll probably still try to be the president of a Bible college. Because these guys are acting like animals. They're just in defense mode. They're just acting on their base, brute, beast instinct. Because that's what they are. So you shouldn't call them that. It's what Peter called them. And it's what Jude called them. You know, Jude even copied off Peter's rant. Here's pretty much what's going on. And so the, they never admit guilt. And, and their d- defenders will not admit that they're wrong. So verse 11 says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perish in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feed with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. Folks, you know what? Go ahead and get mad about the uh, Cameron Giovanellis and the Greg Neals and people like that. But you know what? Just remember, they're going to get what's coming to them. They're going to get it. While they're foaming out their own shame right now, blackness and darkness is reserved for these people. And I'm fine. You know what? I'm fine with just letting God deal with these people in their time. I don't even care anymore. I had somebody the other day, they left a comment on my YouTube talking about, you know, the Mr. Pumpkin, the biggest fruit on earth, about how he's having a lot, a lot of mental problems and his life is really tough right now. I think trying to stay it like, you know, he's suffering because of how he attacked us. And I was supposed to feel good about that. And I just said, you know, he's talking about how his life is a mess right now. And I'm like, he's already a homo. His life, his life can't get any worse than it already is. So I'm like, who cares? I don't care what's going on in his life. He's already a homo. It doesn't get any worse. So... Why would I take any pleasure? I, I, you can't tell me anything worse. <laughs> it doesn't get any. It doesn't get any worse than that. That's this is what's coming for him. So if I find out he's, you know, if he announces tomorrow he's got AIDS or you know, whatever. Oh well. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not going to change anything. I'm not I'm not going to get any any more pleasure from that. He's already got hell coming for all eternity. Does, he's twice dead. Does you know? 
there's no point in me taking any more joy in, any, in anything else that happens to him. It, it can't get any worse than what he's already got. So it says, so, you know, we, we, we can't preach hard enough against these people. Though. I mean, he's preaching hard right here. And, they, and people don't get a pass just because of their titles or because they've given themselves notoriety. We're, we're not to have respect to persons. We already talked about that. So here's about Enoch, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So now, I don't see any mention of a book right here, but you know what? It does tell us something that Enoch preached. This also is not recorded in the Old Testament. So what do we get from this? Well, we know Enoch preached this. We know that. If there was any more that we really needed to know, God would tell us. But do we get to make up another 80-some chapters or whatever it is because of that? Is now everything that they, you know, that's in there now supposed to be considered part of the Bible? That's just foolish. It doesn't make any sense. So, you know, because when the New Testament represents or references an event from the past, especially if it was something before the flood, it usually gets our attention. Why? Because there is very little that's said about the pre-flood world, isn't there? And the pre-flood world is very interesting because of the fact that there's less than 10 chapters devoted to it in the Bible, and the people are living over 900 years. So, yes, we're going to be very interested in what went on during that time. I'm very interested. And what went on during that time. I, anything pre-flood, I'm interested in. When I was younger, anything I could read that was pre-flood, you know, about you know, books on that, I, I was interested in it. But the thing is, that's where we get left wide open and we're anxious to accept just any craziness. Because it is super easy, since so little is said, to insert a whole bunch of sci-fi, fantasy, Greek mythology junk. Well, it doesn't necessarily contradict the Bible. Well, actually, a lot of it does. But at the same time, you know, we, we've got to be honest in our interpretation of the Scripture. And this type of thing, a clever teacher or a clever storyteller can come along and they can capture our attention telling us stories that appeal to our flesh. And isn't it... Tell me that it's not appealing to the flesh... To hear a story about a half man, half goat. You say, that's not interesting. Um, tell that to the Chronicles of Narnia people and the Lord of the Rings people. You know, listen, people love that stuff. You know, let's start talking about, you know, unicorns and cyclopses and, you know, wh whatever. Sci-fi fantasy stuff. You love. People eat it up. And, you know... If, if I had a Charles Lawson voice, I could tell stories about that. And man, I'd, I'd, make, I'm, I'd clean house. Go to the book of Genesis. Talk about the mixture of humans and angels and what it produced. I, I can't do his voice that good. I, I wish I could. And he, he makes everything sound interesting. But the guy's a flaming heretic and a coward. But because he gets away with it because he sounds interesting and he teaches things that appeal to the flesh. So, before the flood, the atmospheric conditions made possible for superhuman abilities. You know, this is where do you think the stories of Superman and Wonder Woman and 
Batman came from. You know, they came from truth of these superhuman skills people had before the flood. Uh, it makes a great story. You know, you write a good book about that, you'll make a lot of money. But it's garbage. It appeals to the flesh. All that stuff appeals to the flesh. That you, There is nothing for you to gain spiritually from learning more about Nephilim. Nothing. There's, even if it was true, there's nothing to gain spiritually from that. Yet people eat that stuff up. Go search Nephilim videos on YouTube and those things, I mean, they get tons of views. Why? The same reason Lord of the Rings gets tons of, uh, you, know, you know, makes zillions of dollars at the box office. Because we live in a world with people who love fantasy. And, you know, I mean, you know unicorns. All, I mean, we, we live in a world that has bronies. Grown men who watch My Little Pony. They call them bronies. So interested in fan, you know, fantasy and unicorns. They watch My Little Pony. Any man who watches My Little Pony needs to get beat up. All right? I'm, so, I'm not saying we ought to go beat them up. All right, let me just throw a disclaimer in there, but somebody needs to beat these guys up. You know, the anti-bullying thing sometimes, it, it's, it, I'm all for anti-bullying, but, you know, sometimes we need a little bit of bullying. And if you're a boy and you show up to school wearing a My Little Pony t-shirt, you know, you need to get roughed up in dodgeball that day. You know, I mean, you, you need to have about 20 guys throwing balls at your face. And I, but, so that's, that's terrible. I'll tell you what's terrible. A young boy growing up and becoming a brony. That's terrible. I'd rather my kid get several dodgeballs to the face than growing up being a brony and buying My Little Pony toys. Listen, I knew a kid one time. He, he, he was a boy, and he'd bring up this big pony to church. My Little Pony, he'd carry the thing to church. I mean, the kid was as queer as all get. Still looks like a queer today. Funny thing is, he's like the straight one, and his brother is full-blown queer. It's, it's weird. Something was very wrong in that house. The two oldest boys is queer as you can get. The third boy was, seemed somewhat normal. The third boy, full-blown homo, married to a dude, and the other guys are married to women. I don't get it. I don't get it. Some, it's a weird world we live in. But, oh, uh, it says, so verse 19, it says, These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Don't get sucked into the things of the flesh. Continue doing the right things for the right reason. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Let's remember the Christian life, it's not about us, but it's about Christ and it's about others. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you false before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. So the book of Jude, it's a reminder of the fact that God destroyed the wicked in the past and he'll do it again in the future. And that is what we are supposed to do. Don't listen to those that are trying to pull things from this book that Jude was not trying to teach. Don't, don't, don't fall for that. Jude does not prove a book of Enoch. It does not prove the Nephilim doctrine. It does not prove that Moses was resurrected from the dead. 
you know, as a way to explain how there was a good hell and a bad hell, that, that, that's, that's false. Let's, and another thing we learned, let's keep the main thing, the main thing, especially in a world where those who are appealing to the flesh are getting earthly rewards. Those appealing to the flesh are doing good. You know, Rob Skiba will always be more popular than I will. Charles Lawson will always be more popular than I will. That's just the way it's going to be. Joel Osteen, these guys are always going to succeed because they appeal to people's flesh. But that's not why we're here. We're here trying to make a difference. We're trying to pull some people out of the fire. And we're not going to do it with Joel Osteen's message. We're not going to do it with Charles Lawson's false gospel. And we're not going to, we're not going to pull anybody out of the fire teaching them about Nephilim. And proving where the elongated skulls came from. I don't even know if that's real. I don't trust anything they show me these days. And, but you've got, you've got these nut jobs, especially the Ruckmanites. They like to take every sci-fi thing that's out there and put it in the Bible. Sluter and his UFOs. You know, yeah, yes, people love Star Trek. They love Star Wars. So what do they do? They teach about us inhabiting other planets one of these days. Just trying, you know, and in the universe, there's infinite possibilities, Right. So therefore, you know, Star Wars could happen in the future somewhere, or maybe it did happen in the past, a long time ago. And got, I mean, they, they just th- that stuff appeals to the flesh, though, doesn't it? You all, you know what? Just be honest. You all would love it if I got up here and I was like preaching a really cool message about cosmic battles in the past. The, in the like, and, and they do that with the gap theory. They do that kind of stuff with the gap theory. You all would rather hear me talking about space, the final frontier, and all that kind of stuff than preach the Bible. You get more pleasure out of that. But it's trash. That's not why we're here. So you're going to get the Bible. So anyway, I hope that was a help. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray help us to learn from these things. Help us to um, get the message that you want us to get from your word. Help us not to add things to it that just aren't there because it appeals to our flesh, because we like the story. Help us to be honest in our interpretation of the scriptures. In your name we pray. Amen.